Hello and welcome to Oberta Dicta, a podcast by Bloomsbury Professional Ireland. Each episode, we interview one of Ireland's leading legal professionals on their areas of interest and expertise and how these are informing our current headlines. We also deliver a summary of Bloomsbury Professional Ireland's latest updates across its online services and blog. Your hosts for this podcast are myself, Rachel Sherlock, the Marketing Executive for Bloomsbury Professional Ireland and General Literature Enthusiast. And me, Owen Malloy, a graduate of NUI Galway School of Law and FE1 survivor. I now work as Bloomsbury Professional Ireland's Content Editor, with a particular focus on our online services. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy our podcast. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Obiter Dicta. In this episode, we will be speaking to university student Kate Flood. As those of you who follow our blog may be aware, Kate was the winner of our inaugural Bloomsbury Student Essay Competition. Her essay was selected as the best entry by Professor John Wiley. Well done to Kate. So we spoke to her about the essay competition itself, as well as her experience of taking exams remotely in the era of coronavirus. But before we get started with the interview... We would just like to remind students doing the FE1s that you can get 25% off our student titles like the Companies Act and Contract Law for Students by ordering directly via bloomsburyprofessional.com forward slash IE and using the code STUDENT, that's STUDENT in all caps, at checkout. That's 25% off with code STUDENT. And now on with the interview. Welcome to Episode 8 of Oberta Dicta. In today's episode, we are speaking to Kate Flood, a second-year student at Trinity College Dublin and winner of the first-ever Bloomsbury Professional Ireland Student Essay Competition. In this competition, law students across Ireland were encouraged to submit a 2,000-word essay on any aspect of land law or conveyancing. For her winning entry, Kate received a €750 Bloomsbury Professional Voucher. You're very welcome to the show, Kate. Obviously, we haven't been able to physically meet you to present you with your award, but we would just like to offer you our congratulations for winning our inaugural Bloomsbury Student Essay Competition. It's a really great achievement for someone as young as yourself to succeed in a field of entrance that was open to postgraduate students as well, and to have your entry selected by Professor John Wiley, one of the most distinguished land law academics in the world. How did you feel when you won? <laughs> well, I was completely shocked. Um but obviously I was over the moon. I kind of, I think I submitted my essay two hours before the deadline and it was kind of just a whim. I had been really proud of it when I'd written it for college. So I just kind of decided, as I said, really last minute to throw my hat in the ring. I didn't think I had anything to lose, but I certainly didn't really consider the possibility that mine would win. Um, But yeah, when I found out, I was shocked, but utterly delighted. That's fantastic. And do you want to give us an overview of your essay and what it was about, the title? Yes. So my essay was a critical analysis of the Irish High Court decision in Smith and Irish Rail, which was a 2002 case relating to the distinction between a lease and a license and the supervisory role of the courts when it comes to commercial agreements. So in that case, the High Court ultimately decided that the agreement between the two parties was a lease in substance, notwithstanding the wording of the initial agreement. So where the parties had signed up to a license, the court decided, oh, well, actually, no, it's a lease in practice. And so in exploring the case, um, I decided to compare and contrast the approach of the court in this instance to previous cases. And I ultimately kind of came to the conclusion that I felt that the decision was lacking and was kind of poor 
because when I did some research into it, it seemed to completely disregard really substantive authority in the area, while at the same time really embracing and endorsing almost irrelevant authority. That's that sounds really really interesting and and certainly well beyond the capacity that I had anything to even think about when I was in second year. So really really well done on that. And I suppose you you touched on it briefly there. Um, what what inspired you to select this topic? Um, had you covered it in a in a class that you did? Well, like I said, I wrote it as part of my land law module, and as part of the module, we have to do a case note. So we were given a list of cases to choose from. And when I started thinking about it, there was no kind of topic that I particularly liked or I was particularly enamored with. And from the cases on the list, like none of them kind of jumped out at me immediately. So I decided I'd read through them to kind of decide which one, you know, grabbed my attention. And when I read the Smith case, I was just, I was completely taken aback by just how profusely I disagreed with it. And just (laughs) immediately, I just felt so strongly about it. And I just had so many of my own opinions on it that I was like, I'm going to write about this case. If nothing else, my TA needs to know how much I hate this decision. So it was, it basically came down to I really just didn't like it. And I felt I'm going to get somewhere if I write about this. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of blowing off steam, I think, was was the main <laughs> motivation behind it. I think righteous anger usually fuels the best university essays. <laughs> yes, literally. Because when I'd written essays in the past, the one thing they always said was, yeah, but what do you think about it? So when I went into this, I was like, I have to find something that I feel strongly about. And if I either really agree with it or really disagree with it, you know, that's going to really help. And I just, I hated it. I just, even reading it, I was like, this actually angers me. (laughs) Like, I don't even think it's a particularly interesting topic, but I just found, I just didn't understand. I was like, how could the courts have done this? You know, how did they come to this conclusion? Was the the kind of logical basis for the decision that really jarred you? Is is that correct? Yeah, I just, because I remember we covered it in class and we covered it in a tutorial. And I remember studying a case that was really similar to it, like, was the same in all, but, you know, the parties had different names. And the courts had come to the completely opposing decision. And I was like, they don't even mention that case in this. It was like the courts were like, well, we know that previously we've done this, but we actually don't like that. So we're just not going to talk about that that happened. That's, you know, irrelevant, didn't happen, who's she? So yeah, I was, <laughs> like I said, it was just kind of this all-consuming, how could they do that? How did, you know, they just completely ignore all this case law and then just pick some really old English case and just say, yeah, we're actually going to rest everything on this. So it, it sounds like maybe the courts, in, in your view, had kind of come to the decision. They had made up their mind about the case in substance and then looked for you know authority to support that as opposed to examining all the authorities you know in full. Yeah, I think they wanted to come to the conclusion that they came to. So they just found the leading case that supported their view and just completely disregarded the fact that the case they used was residential as opposed to commercial. So while it was the building block of the lease license distinction, it had no real bearing on the facts of that case. So yeah, I do agree. I think it was just kind of, we want to say this and we're just going to make sure we only consult what's going to give us this answer. That's really, really interesting that you've come to that uh, realisation about, about particular cases because one of the issues that a lot of younger law students have is that you're reading a decision and you, you inherently maybe don't want to disagree with it because, you know, this is a judge who has many more years of learning and you're kind of thinking, yeah. no, I'm, I'm hesitant to put my own opinion on this. So once you, you know, find that you're comfortable expressing your own opinion on judgments, it's, it's really, really a good step 
in your legal development, I would, I would say. You know, definitely. But I remember when I read it at first, and like I said, immediately I was struck with just, I was like, this is so wrong. And I remember actually talking to other people and then like, have I missed something? Like, is there some blaring fact that I'm just missing? And a few people were like, oh, I think it was a brilliant judgment. I really agreed with it. And I was like, okay, I'm still saying it. I'm still saying it's rubbish. I'm just, you know. Standing by your convictions there. Yeah, you got to do it. Well, it clearly made for a fantastic essay. So have you thought at all about how you'd like to spend your 750 euro voucher? Um, I haven't really put an awful lot of thought into it yet, but I'm hoping to kind of buy books that are kind of going to hold their relevance. So I'll be able, you know, to use them for years to come. But yeah, definitely trying to get books that will help me in the future and try and just, you know, build up a library of stuff that I can use. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And have you have you given any thought to, will you be, obviously you're, you're quite early in your development yet, but do you think you'll be going on to do the FE1s yeah. or anything like that? Yeah, I'm thinking FE1s. I've kind of, the only thing I'm definite on is I don't want to be a barrister. But any, anything else is possible. But at the moment, I'm thinking everyone's. Oh, yeah. So, so there's a few textbooks there that will definitely help help you along your yeah, way there. Um, now, I suppose as much as we would like to, we really can't uh, avoid the pandemic and the impact that it has had on, on university students. And it would be brilliant maybe to get your, your perspective on all of this, because as we were, we were talking earlier before we started recording, you have done um, some remote exams. Is that correct? That is, yeah. I had four exams this semester and... They were all moved to online exams. And how, how did you find the experience of taking your exams online? It was it was so bizarre. It was kind of a really surreal experience. Um, I found it kind of difficult to get kind of psyched up and in the zone because where usually, you know, I'd be commuting to the RDS or, you know, having coffee and talking about the notes. This time around, I was just sitting at my desk in my pajamas. And yeah. <laughs> you know, I just I just had to you know log on to Blackboard and download my exam. And one thing that was so bizarre was at any point during the exam, my mum could pop her head in and be like, "Is everything okay?" <laughs> you know, so it's yeah. <laughs> just on every conceivable level, it was bizarre. It was strange, but it it actually worked quite well because I think the business and the law schools were very diligent in communicating with us how the exams were going to work. So. We kind of knew how everything was going to go. We'd had test runs to make sure, you know, that everyone knew how to use the software and everything. So it actually worked out quite smoothly and was actually quite efficient, I think, particularly given the circumstances. But, you know, it was so strange. You probably didn't miss the kind of really anxious conversations before the exam, you know, going in, oh, have you covered this? And, oh, no, I've completely left that out. And, you know, that's yeah. certainly something that I, I would, wouldn't miss. No, th- that was one nice thing. It was kind of like with exams, you could kind of put yourself in your own bubble and say, OK, I know this. I don't want this to come up. But you could you could only have those thoughts yourself. You couldn't catastrophize everything with other people. So that was nice. And. Um, so, but while that benefited the exams being online, that was the big, I think, hindrance with having like lectures online, for example. Whereas for the exams, the kind of social aspect or a lack thereof made it easier in one way. That's what completely made the lectures so much more difficult. But you know, it, it's been an interesting experience. And yeah, like I said, I think given all the uncertainty that was, you know, surrounding of, are we even going to be able to do exams? Are we even going to be able to progress with our degrees because of this? I do think it all actually went quite smoothly and was run, I think, as efficiently as it could have been. Yeah. And I was just thinking myself about how that atmosphere of going into exams in person and how there's so much regulation and moderation to make sure you're not cheating or make sure you're not doing anything kind of untoward. I guess, was there anything in place to regulate how you guys were taking the exams? Well, yeah. Um, 
both schools, I think, kind of decided that, look, we can't police people not using their notes. So all my exams were open book. And I think that in itself completely changed the tone of the exams because it was no longer a question of, oh, do I know this or do I not know this? It was completely, how well do I know this or how eloquently can I express my knowledge of this? But definitely, since everyone had access you know, to their phones, to the internet and to basically all the course material, like cheating was obviously going to be a very live issue. But I think they did take steps to try and mitigate it. So for some exams, the time we were given was kind of limited and restricted so that, well, yes, you had access to your notes. There just simply wasn't the time or the scope to be completely reliant on them. And then also we were using software like Turnitin, for example. So like they're designed to, you know, show up plagiarism or similarities. So I think they've really kind of designed it so that while you can cheat, you're going to be caught if you do. So yeah, because that was one thing I was really worried about. I was like, oh, well, how, like, how are they going to do it? But I think they took it into consideration and I think they managed it fairly well. Yeah, I suppose you still have to know the material. I mean, you can't, mm. even if in, in, within such a limited time frame, you know, you can't just go lifting sections from something you don't understand at all. So, and I, I think, um, I don't know if you, if you agree with this, but I found that in any open book exams that I've ever done, I found that I actually didn't end up using the book as much because I had been studying the material. So I knew it anyways. Yeah. And I ended up still going from memory because it was quicker. So I suppose there's there's an element of that to it. So you can't get it, get it perfectly. But I suppose overall, you'll be happier being back on campus when all of this blows over. Definitely. I think, like I said, online learning served a purpose this semester. Um, but there's a whole social aspect to college, which I think is integral to the college experience. So even like little things like taking a coffee break mid-study or, you know, talking about like, what the hell was she on about in that lecture? You know, all that kind of stuff. It's part <laughs> and parcel of, it's part and parcel of why we go to college and that's been completely lacking for this half of the semester and it's definitely something that I've missed and it's definitely something I think shouldn't be disregarded you know when we're talking about going back because I like I do think it it helps us you know mentally and emotionally get through different things so you know I think I'm definitely a an on-campus learner. (laughs) Yeah Rachel and I were having a a discussion about this kind of thing earlier on in relation to the leaving certificate you know that we felt that when we were studying for our leaving cert, obviously we could, you know, bandy ideas back and forth amongst our friends who we might be studying with, you know, on breaks from after school study or at the library or whatever. And um, I suppose you're arguably a lot closer, well, not arguably, you're definitely a lot closer in time to having finished your leaving cert than we are. So what do you make of the whole predicted grades thing? Is it something that you would have been delighted about or would you have been really, you know, sore not to be able to, to take the exams? Well, Personally, I would have loved, if I was in sixth year now, I would still want to be able to sit a final exam. I would love the idea of kind of going in, sitting down, putting a cap on it and being done with it. Being able to consciously finish my leaving cert. Because I think, you know, psychologically, it is nice to be able to go, okay, that's it. I've done it. And also you put in so much work. And even like up until this week, they've all probably been, you know, working so hard and putting so much effort into, you know, making sure they can retain all the material. And it must be so deflating, I think, and definitely demotivating to be kind of like, oh, well, actually, Sherlock, we'll just we'll just stop here. But that's just me. And I know that that idea would absolutely terrify other students. But the idea of a predicted grade, I think, is just so it's so sterile. And I don't really know, like, even what it's going to try and represent. So is it going to try and reflect, you know, what you've achieved so far? Or is it going to be reflective of 
how you would have achieved if you'd gotten the opportunity to sit the exam. And then there's the whole argument of, well, how is it going to be consistent? How is it going to be fair? You know, like there are a lot of, you know, question marks over it still. But I do think, you know, at this point, like the government has made a decision. And I think it's just really important that we just work at implementing it, you know, as best we can. And, you know, try and keep working towards what's best for the students, like making sure they're kept in the loop. And, you know, at this point, it really is just about mitigating the stress that they're under. And I think we just need to keep working towards that. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. So as a final note, we just want to say another huge congratulations and thanks so much for coming on to the podcast. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me on. And thank you both so much for your help and everything over the last few months as well. Well, well thanks, Kate. Thanks so much. This has been Oberta Dicta, a Bloomsbury Professional Ireland podcast. To find out more about our titles and online services, visit bloomsburyprofessionalireland.com. You can follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook. Thanks for listening.